Welcome to another episode of the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show uncovering the news and trends that matter most for companies and their stocks across technology, media, retail, gaming, and more. I'm Tim Stenevec. Epic Games is having an epic battle with Apple and Google. Epic Games makes Fortnite, and the company is fed up with a long-standing app store rule that says that certain app developers, like Epic Games, must pay Apple and Google 30% of what they earn in in-app purchases. So here's what that means. 30% of what someone buys in Fortnite when using the app goes to Apple or to Google depending on if they're using an iOS device or an Android device. Now, this is a big deal because the market is absolutely massive. Consumers spent $120 billion in apps last year. That's according to the research firm App Annie. So here's what happened with Epic and with Apple and with Google. Last week, Epic Games decided to poke the bear and pull a fast one on Apple and Google by offering gamers a way to make in-game purchases that actually gets around having to pay that 30% fee. Apple and Google, of course, weren't going to have any of that, and the tech giants quickly removed the Fortnite app from their app stores. And then just this week, Epic said that Apple has threatened to terminate its developer account in retaliation. So which side has more to lose if the two companies were to go their separate ways, if this fight were to kind of lead to the worst case scenario? Well, to break down the feud specifically between Apple and Epic and explain what's at stake, we spoke to two big time Apple experts, Mark Gurman and Renee Ritchie. Now, Mark Gurman is the Apple reporter for Bloomberg News, and he's been delivering major market-moving scoops about the company for years. Mark is the guy who breaks the news about what what Apple is going to release before Apple employees even know what's coming out. Here's my conversation with Mark. Mark, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. No, uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, this will be fun to talk about. Well, I want to jump right into it. Uh, Epic Games versus Apple. For for those people who aren't familiar with the way the App Store functions, take us through what's happening with Epic Games and, and the problem or, or tension that it highlights with Apple's relationship with developers. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, the real core of the issue is Apple's 30% fee in most cases that it charges to developers for app downloads, subscriptions, uh, in-app purchases. And Epic with Fortnite not really wanting to pay that 30% fee, but it goes further than that. So Epic on Android has you know their own app store that you can sort of install or quote-unquote sideload onto the device. So Google takes that same 30% fee as Apple, but there's an alternative. The issue with iOS is that you can't have a competing app store on the iPhone. So your only option is to have that 30% fee via Apple Store. And so they have now sued Apple. They've taunted Apple into removing their app so they had means or sort of a peg for the lawsuit. And this is something I think is going to go on for several months, if not longer. There's going to be lots of discussion of, hey, Apple, if they should reduce that 30% fee, if they should open up the iPhone to have competing app stores. Uh, And so this is going to be an ongoing situation for a while, and it will be interesting to see how it shakes out for both sides. 
But what's so interesting about this, Mark, is that this is nothing new. I mean, I remember five years ago when I was listening to audiobooks on Audible, I couldn't actually buy an audiobook on the Audible iOS app. I'd have to go via the Safari or whatever browser I was using and buy it there. That was all a way for Audible, owned by Amazon, to get around that 30% fee. Why is this coming to a head now? It's coming to a head because there isn't that solution, right? What you just described is, you know, you know, elegant or not, it's a solution. It's a way that you can get Audible working on the iPhone without giving Audible or Apple that 30% cut from Audible. And that is because there's an App Store rule that grants that exemption where you can sign up or subscribe to content from a, uh, a media app, whether that's a bookstore app, a news app, a music app, a video app, or something like Audible, and then log in with that account into the app itself and circumvent that 30%. Now, that, what they call cutout, is not supported for games. So if gaming was supported, you would be able to technically sign up for Fortnite, maybe on the website, another web portal, and then log in via the app and, and circumvent that 30% going to Apple and saving you know, epic that 30%, but that doesn't exist. So in my opinion, that is, it's not a simple solution. It's not elegant by any means, as you described in the audible situation. And I believe that is still the case, Uh, but it is a solution. And that might be the simplest way Apple solves this, but gaming brings in so much money for Apple that I don't think they're going to do it. I mean, yeah, according to Loop Ventures, uh, Fortnite represents about $100 million in revenue a year to Apple. It sounds like a lot of money, but for Apple, it's 0.03% of the company's overall revenue. Does Apple actually need the Fortnite app in its store? You know, Fortnite is so popular. And this comes down to the idea where it's like, okay, let's say you're someone who plays Fortnite and you're deciding between getting an iPhone or an Android phone for your next phone right? And you're really addicted to Fortnite. And there's lots of people who are really addicted to Fortnite, right? You might say, okay, I'm going to get the Samsung Galaxy because I could play Fortnite, right? I'm not going to get the iPhone because of that. And And that's really important. It's important. And I think that's something that Apple's going to want to solve by October when the next phones come out, when people are making their next wave of smartphone purchasing decisions. Because not having Fortnite on the App Store could be a reason why someone chooses the next, you know, Samsung versus the iPhone 12. Okay, so what does Apple say in defense of its App Store policies here? I mean, Apple's defense is that they basically were taunted into removing the application and Fortnite broke the rules and they apply these rules, you know, as they say or they claim evenly. And so they're not going to just keep an app on the App Store that's violating the rules. So they had no choice but to remove it because they didn't want to set the precedent. If they let this app on the App Store, stay on the App Store, you might see a whole wave of developers following suit. And they needed to prevent that for their own protection of their underlying business model. As I mentioned, this has been an issue for years. Spotify is famous for calling out Apple. And I I don't know what the current Spotify app does, but it used to not even allow you to, to subscribe to Spotify if you download the app, right? Currently, Spotify is in the same exact boat as Audible. That exemption that Audible has is also in place for Spotify. So you can subscribe via uh, application on another platform or on the web and then log into the Spotify application on the iPhone. So it's fully usable, but 
you can save Spotify from getting that 30% by subscribing elsewhere. Now, for a long time, they still offered the in-app uh, subscription option. And what they did was is they raised the price 30% in order to offset that 30%. Now, I believe, at least in several markets, that's no longer the case. And Netflix, obviously, another very popular app, is in the same exact boat as Spotify. You subscribe outside of the Netflix app, then you log in. They also, at one point, no longer the case, offered an in-app option to subscribe at a 30% price hike in order to offset that fee. Yeah, it's incredibly important to keep in mind, too, that Apple competes with Spotify and many other companies that it does feature in its app store. Uh, Big picture, Mark, what is the defense that Apple has in charging that 30% fee that is the issue that these companies are complaining about? Well, they have their defense and then they have the reality. Their defense is that this is what they charge for the upkeep of the app store, right? You also have the reality, reality, whereas that's a lot of money that they're taking from these developers. And in some cases, they can't really spare that 30%, right? There's businesses that have been huge successes because of the app store. And there's also businesses that have fallen apart because of that 30% fee in more recent years. So, you know, for a lot of people, it's great. And for some people, it's not great. But I think that 30% is too high. And so the solution there is is either to lower that 30% to something more reasonable or would be to create more carve-outs so games can take advantage of that solution that um, apps like Spotify and Netflix are privy to. So how does this end? How does this end? Well, something's going to give one way or another. It's either Epic Games gives up, says, hey, we're losing too much money by not being on the App Store, or Apple meets them in the middle and makes some sort of granted exception. Me personally, I don't know if this is how things are going to shake out, but I strongly believe that gaming carve-out to use a similar system to Audible, Netflix, and Spotify is the most elegant solution. Epic Games basically has a solution to getting exactly what they want, right? But at the same time, Apple is not cutting down that 30%, which obviously hit their revenue long term. Mark, while we have you, I also want to talk about Apple's plan for a subscription bundle for its digital services. You broke the story in Bloomberg that Apple is getting ready for a launch as early as October. What can you tell us about this bundle? Sure. So this is something that internally, at least, is called Apple One. And what it would allow you to do is subscribe to several tiers of bundles at varying prices. So for example, let's say you want to subscribe to Apple Music and Apple TV Plus, right? Right now you would subscribe to them separately because there's no bundle option, but now you'll bundle them together and you'll be able to save uh, you know, a couple bucks a month uh, on those services. There'll be different tiers that include additional levels of service, whether that's a new fitness uh, subscription service that they're developing, Coding Seymour, if there's, there's also one with iCloud storage, one that supports the Apple Arcade gaming service, one that supports Apple News Plus. So it's a varying array of, of different bundles for their uh, new cloud services. Mark, I just want to end by with something that's like a little insidery journalism. I've been following your career for a long time. You break more Apple news than anybody else. Your sources are incredible and you get it right time and time again. Stuff that Apple clearly wants to keep a secret. You move the stock price of the company. You break news about new products that are coming. And you've been doing it, I think, since you were a teenager, right? Yeah, that's very kind. I've been doing this about, uh, let's see, 10, 10, 11 years now. And, okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of so, fun. So what advice would you have to people who are listening right now about building sources, about oh. getting the stories without giving Ooh. away, without giving away your secret sauce? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think that persistence is important, right? That's what I would leave you with, persistence and uh, you know, talking to as many people as you can. Well, it's been great to talk to you, Mark. Really appreciate your time today. 
And it doesn't sound like we're going to get any further uh, with the secret to breaking all the Apple news, but I'll, I'll remain persistent and keep getting in touch with you. Yes, please. Happy to come on anytime. This was wonderful. And um, I thank you very much for having me and looking forward to the next one. Thanks for taking the time. That was Mark Gurman, Apple reporter at Bloomberg News. Now let's get to tech analyst Renee Ritchie, who's covered Apple for years and touches on the best and worst case scenario for Apple. Renee, thanks so much for joining us. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. The feud between Epic Games and Apple is escalating quickly. Apple saying just moments ago, we're recording this on a Monday, that the company is terminating their developer account and will cut them off from developer tools on August 28th. Take us into what this feud encapsulates right now and what it means for Apple to terminate their developer account. Sure. So um, early days in the App Store, Epic and Apple got together or got along well, famously well. You know, they demonstrated on the stage quite a few times. They were a showcase for what you could do graphically on the iPhone and iPad. And they started becoming more and more successful. And they made a game called Fortnite, which, you know, some people said was just a knockoff of PUBG, a very famous survival uh, fighting game earlier on, but people really loved it. It got the attention of the gaming community, the Twitch streamers, the YouTube streamers. It just shot up, became incredibly popular. And Epic's fortunes rose with it. They took on rounds of investment. Uh, Tencent bought 40% of the company. Uh, Sony uh, bought 1.4% of the company. They just got a huge infusion of cash and they invested it and it became more and more lucrative for them. And at a certain point, they decided to bring Fortnite to the iPhone and to Android. It had already been on the consoles, on the Xbox, on the PlayStation, uh, on the Switch as well. And when they did that, they sort of balked at giving Apple and Google 30% of their revenue, which they'd been doing with the Xbox and the PlayStation and Nintendo. But they sort of felt that those were more specific gaming consoles. These were more general computers. They should be more open. Uh, Nintendo and Sony and and Microsoft sold their consoles at a loss and were much better about partnering with developers and promoting big game studios. So they really didn't think it was worth 30% to be on those stores. They couldn't do anything about it with Apple, but with Google, they tried at first just not to go on the Google Play Store. They tried to make deals with other Android uh, manufacturers like OnePlus to get the game just pre-installed. They got it onto Samsung. They claimed Google prevented them from getting it on to OnePlus, but eventually they just realized it was untenable. In order to get in front of the big mainstream audience they wanted, they had to be in the store. And they've sort of been fuming about that for the last few years as they made, you know, untold millions of dollars and had to give 30% of that to Apple and Google every time. So this week that seems to have all come to a head where they surreptitiously added code to Fortnite on iOS and Android and then turned it on and sort of proudly proclaimed to the world that you could save money. You could save 20% if you started uh, buying your V-Bucks, which is the in-game currency for Fortnite, directly from them and cutting out Apple and Google. And that sort of started everything we saw this week. So who who has the power here? I mean, doesn't Apple have more power? Because without the App Store and you know, without Google's Play Store, how do they reach their audience? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's sort of... They, they, they both have power in their own ways. Like in terms of an absolute normalcy of power, Apple and Google control everything that's on their store, the same way Netflix controls everything that's on their streaming service, uh, the same way Microsoft controls what's on the Xbox, the same way NBC gets to determine what's on their schedule, the New York Times gets to determine what's on their editorial page. It's just 
it, they built this distribution system so they control it. But Epic is sort of gambling, rolling the dice that with congressional hearings on the uptake, you know, Tim Cook of Apple and Sundar Pichai of Google just recently testified before Congress and the EU and the US investigating them for anti-competitive behavior, maybe antitrust issues, that this is the time for them to sort of test how far they can push and how much they can take. So how does this, shit, how does this end up playing out? How does it get so resolved? As of right now, uh, Google and Apple have both removed the app for sale. You can still play it. You can still play Fortnite if you already have it on your device, but you can't put it on any new devices or any old devices that it's not currently on. And just like you said before, Apple's threatening to revoke their certificates, their developer accounts. Uh, and that means that they just you will no longer be able to play Fortnite. They'll no longer be able to develop anything for the for the iPhone and the Mac. And that's got some people just wondering out loud about the power that Apple has over their platform, which again feeds into uh, the investigations going on. And it, it seems likely that in the U.S. at least, the Supreme Court sort of, they, they believe in the right to deal, that you can't force a company to, to do something that they don't want to do. That's sort of a, an intrinsic right of the, of the free market. But the, what the Justice Department, what the Congress decides, what new laws are created it's harder to say. And we've seen them sort of group all the big tech companies together, Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Google, as not be not not doing what's in best interest of their of their constituents, which in this case is developers, or of, of their competitors, which are other parties and what Epic wants to be. Epic said their end goal is to have their own store and they want it on the iPhone because it's so lucrative. The EU uh, wants, tends to want to promote competition where the U.S. wants lower prices. So app, even though legally under current laws, Apple and Google are probably fine, it's the impending laws that are more dangerous to them. So do you expect Congress to eventually step in and, and get involved with potentially Apple's take rates or, or App Store policies? Yeah, I think there's, you know, with everything that's going on now, I think how high a priority it is, it's hard to say. You know, they've gone through with the hearings and the hearings were bizarre, uh, not so much in just the usual political bizarreness, but they, you know, they they framed them as an investigation. They asked them about various things, and including how they deal with partners and how they deal with um, com competitors. And then at the end, uh, the chairman just gaveled and said they all need to be broken up, which hadn't really been established in any of the of the discourse. And to that, that to me is the worrying part that, you know, I'm sure Apple and Google thinks they're doing what's right. I'm sure Epic thinks they're doing what's right. There is no telling what the U.S. Congress might do or what the EU might do. Uh, and to me, that's what Apple and Google really should be looking out for and maybe taking preemptive action to prevent. So, Renee, as a tech analyst who's followed Apple for years at this point, uh, really contextualize for our listeners how much Apple relies on App Store revenue for its bottom line as it looks to increasingly move from a hardware-focused company to a services company. Yeah, I think that's absolutely part of the problem. When the App Store was first announced, Steve Jobs famously said that he just wanted it to break even. That would be great if it just broke even because Apple lets free apps basically on the store for apps, uh, basically on the store for free. They do collect $100 from every developer as sort of a, a yearly fee, but they don't charge anything to free apps. But what happened was these games came along with in-app purchases and people spend so much money on them. They actually call people whales who spend a large amount of money mm -hmm. on them. 
Uh, and it's an incredibly lucrative business. It's billions and billions of dollars. And four years ago, Tim Cook said that Apple was going to double services revenue by 2020. And they managed to do that. But a large part of that was App Store revenue. And a large part of that was games. And a large part of that was these in-app purchases. And he could he declined to repeat that promise. He didn't say we're going to double it again by 2024. Um, but without that sort of revenue, it's hard to see how Apple would make significant amounts of money off off the App Store. And maybe they shouldn't, but it's been set up to the point where I think Wall Street really expects that services revenue and the App Store has been the best way to deliver that so far. So who do you think is is in the right here, Renee? Is it the developers who are saying that yeah. Apple is collecting too high of a toll? Or is it Apple who says, hey, we're giving you access to the most lucrative group of people who have access to mobile phones in the world? And this is a small price to pay for that access. I think it's I think it's a, it's a little bit of both, actually. Like again, I think they both have good intentions, and they both see the world through their own point of view, and they both think that they're contributing the most towards the relationship. The developers by creating all the apps, creating the value, the, the things that people want to spend money on, and Apple by creating the environment where people feel safe and and comfortable and just quick to spend that money. Um, and I think they both over overvalue their contribution and undervalue the other party's contributions. When you look at the just amount of wealth, even compared to Google that has more downloads, uh, the App Store makes far more profit. And that is inextricable from the way that it's managed. And I think if, if everyone's not careful, they could do a lot to ruin it for everybody. So uh, I, would, I, I would take a lot of the developer's suggestions to heart. I would reimagine the model, but I would try very carefully not to destroy the model. And maybe that is sideloading and alternate payments on the App Store, but in a way that maintains security and maintains uh, customer trust. And so Apple will earn less and developers will have the potential to earn more, but everyone's going to have to work uh, to sort of earn that the amount that they want from it. Right, because they, they need each other. Developers yeah. need Apple and Apple needs developers. The iPhone is incredibly uh, invaluable, is, is not valuable, it loses value when it doesn't have apps available for it. Um, Renee. What does this look like a year from now? Give us a prediction. So, I mean, I have my hope and I have my fear. My hope is that Apple and Google figure out a way to make a better deal, a reimagining of the App Store model for the 2020s. You know, it's been a decade. Things have changed. The world is very different. The app economy is very different. Uh, developers are facing a world where, like, like you know, with news, news used to be incredibly expensive, and now it's it's free on the web. And you used to have to buy CDs, and now you just subscribe to Spotify or Apple Music. You, to, you used to have to buy DVDs, now you just subscribe to Netflix. And that's happening with apps; they're being commoditized, they're becoming abundant, uh, and it's going to require a whole new approach. My fear is that everyone is going to just uh, entrench themselves and and. Uh, nothing is going to happen until the worst happens, which is the government that is technologically illiterate <laughs> walking in here and just making up rules based on their model they used on Ma Bell 20 years ago. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen. I hope we do come up with a better, more sustainable model for everybody. And that option would likely take a lot of time. Renee Ritchie, it is so great to speak with you. Thanks so much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. You too. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and leave a review wherever you're listening to it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tim Stanovic, and this is the Voices of Wall Street podcast.